Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. On today's show, Ben Simmons is disappointed the 76ers didn't sign LeBron James. We'll talk about if the 76ers should be disappointed with their offseason in general. Then we'll talk about what the NBA is doing to help players dealing with mental health problems as more players go bravely public with their struggles. It's Locked On NBA. Thank you so much for listening and for subscribing. Now let's get to the show. Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm a credentialed writer covering the NBA for the Step Back. You can find me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. And I'm David Romillo, credentialed NBA writer who covers the league at large for Fanside. You can follow me and my writing on Twitter at DRomill13. We'll debate the concept of tanking and talk about what the NBA is doing to help players suffer from, who are suffering from mental health issues. But let's start in Philadelphia. Actually, David, let's start in Australia, right. where Ben Simmons told an Australian paper that he was a little bit disappointed that LeBron chose to sign with the Lakers over the Sixers, saying, quote, It would have been great to learn from him and compete for a championship, end quote. Simmons has been compared to LeBron. Simmons and LeBron are part of the same agency. Simmons and LeBron are both Nike guys, but Simmons and LeBron are not teammates David, do you think LeBron and Simmons could have coexisted on the Sixers? I'm uh, past that point where I consider that LeBron couldn't find a way to coexist with anybody. I mean, I know that he is somewhat of a, a bristly personality, and he does tend to want things done certainly in his way, and it's proven to be successful. But I also think that there is no style of play that he couldn't mold and take to another level and that he couldn't adhere himself to and, and impose his personality upon so I, I think there was a, a, a potential there. I think Simmons would have had to be a little bit more effective without the ball in his hand, something that he's not used to at this point in his career. Maybe move a little bit more off ball, work on back cuts and things of that sort, find other more creative ways of scoring since obviously his shooting isn't rounded out just yet. But there's an opportunity for him to learn from LeBron and how to do things like that. And look, I mean, LeBron famously played alongside Dwayne Wade in Miami. Wade's not necessarily known for his long-range shooting. In fact, that's probably the biggest weakness in his game over a Hall of Fame career. But Wade became more effective off-ball. And I think a lot of that was playing with a superior pass or somebody with incredible court vision like LeBron. So as far as their fit is concerned, I absolutely think that they would have been able to fit well together. I'm glad you brought up the Heat thing because I never knew why people were saying LeBron shouldn't go to the 76ers because the fit wasn't there because Ben Simmons needed the ball. Or There's only one ball, the West. Ball. There's only one ball. <laughs> it just it never made sense to me because of it. we saw him win two championships in four years in Miami with not only be, like you could have plugged LeBron onto the Sixers and you have Ben Simmons playing the Wade role, right? Yeah. The off-ball, you know, mastermind cutting off the ball. Um, you know, getting when he did have the ball, finding LeBron with great passes and, and just doing all the things defensively as well. Things that Dwayne Wade couldn't necessarily do at the point at you know, the point of his career when LeBron joined him in South Beach. But then you also had Joel Embiid who could have played the Chris Bosch role, stretching the floor from the five, being as versatile as he was. Now he's a very different player than Chris Bosch was, obviously. He's a very different sized player, but he was he's very versatile just the way Bosch was. And so I don't see, and you've got floor spacers around him like Redick. You've got Covington there. I think it would have been a great fit for LeBron. I'm actually surprised he didn't entertain the idea more from you know all of the 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 reports that we've heard since he signed with the Lakers that he it was basically L.A. or bust. Yeah. 
that he didn't really entertain the idea of going to Philadelphia. I was surprised he didn't because I thought it would have been a great fit for him. The only thing I really understand is if you're a Sixers fan, right? And look, you've went through the process and you finally have this young core. Not wanting to fold LeBron into that. And then the circus and the spotlight that comes with LeBron James. I understand not wanting that. I actually get it when when Sixers fans were... debating internally, you know, on Sixers Twitter and so, and so forth, about whether or not they should even attempt to sign LeBron James or if a guy like a Paul George or Kawhi Leonard would be a better option. Now, it's kind of ironic that they were debating that because they ended up with none of those guys. So if you're a Sixers fan, are, you don't get LeBron, you don't get Paul George, you don't get Kawhi, you really don't make any significant moves in free agency at all. You're able to re-sign J.J. Redick. That's great. Um are, should Sixers fans be disappointed with the summer because they had cap space, they had the means to make a move, and after that big year where they kind of shocked the league by how good they were, they didn't land any big-name free agents. I, I think the the LeBron signing could have been, well, certainly it would have been a positive, but I think it also would have, if not necessarily hindered, it would have changed the trajectory for how Philly's young core would have developed, and that's without a doubt. I mean, LeBron is a, a singular force of nature on any team that he's a part of he changes the dynamic completely and i think that's probably why he wanted to go to los angeles where he would have had much more freedom like no obviously there's a lot of off the court things that make that an intriguing scenario but i think you know he probably would have changed how Philly had moved forward in the Eastern Conference dramatically and maybe not necessarily hindered the development of guys like Simmons and Embiid, but it would have changed how they moved forward and they would have become reliant on a player like him because that's what he does. He he changes things so that people are forced to rely on him so he becomes the center piece of whatever offense that uh, and he, and he speeds up the develop the, the developmental process of not only the players but the team. Just look at what happened with Kyrie Irving. Right. You know, in, in Cleveland and how they moved Andrew Wiggins, you know, the top pick for a guy, a, a more veteran player like Kevin Love. So, yeah, I get that. Part. But I would have said, though, I would say, though, that they should be somewhat disappointed. They couldn't get more of a complimentary player. Like, I think Paul George probably would have been a much more effective version of Robert Covington. Somebody who mm. plays incredible defense, can space the floor, can create his own shot. Something that Covington really can't do at this point in his career and probably won't ever be able to. So I think having somebody like that would have raised their ceiling considerably, would have made them a legitimate title contender, I think, this year. Um, You know, obviously, even with Golden State signing DeMarcus Cousins, they're probably going to be the favorite. You would have to put Houston as a second-tier team there. But as far as an Eastern Conference contender is concerned, somebody to represent the Eastern Conference in the finals, that could have been Philly had they been able to sign one of these players, either George or Leonard, or certainly with LeBron on there. But I, I think... George would have been a good fit. Somebody who's not quite a leader uh, as far as the most vocal presence in the locker room. Something he's never wanted to be either in Indiana or Oklahoma City. He never had to be. Uh, and, and I think he could have just gone in there and contributed on the floor, which is something that he, he can do at a very high level. So I, I would have been disappointed, to be honest with you, because now you're not quite sure what Philly's ceiling is. They could be one of these great teams that might be an also-ran that you'll remember fondly five years down the line. Who knows what will happen if Ben Simmons leaves in free agency in a few years or Joel Embiid, you know, somebody who's had a a number of nagging injuries over the course of his short career, Mm -hmm. what if those continue to crop up? So this could be one of those teams that will look back fondly in 10, 20 years or so and say they could have been great had something else happened. Unfortunately, they just didn't have that opportunity this summer, or rather they weren't able to capitalize on the opportunity they did have. So disappointment, I can see it. 
and maybe they'll have that opportunity next summer or in the next couple of years. But, you know, there was a big opportunity here coming off of that kind of surprise season, that big season that they did. And they had a ton of cap space, and they're not going to necessarily have that kind of cap space again um, because Ben Simmons, is con- he's going to be doing an ex- for an extension in, in a year, and um, you start having to figure out a little bit more of those cap things. They all, you could argue they got worse. I mean, they, you lose a guy like Irsan Ilyasova and a guy like Marco Bellinelli that was so big for them, yeah. especially going that, that playoff run and going to the play. They didn't really replace those guys like Wilson Chandler, I guess at no, this I point like his in his career as a as a stretch four, he's fine. I just like that's that's the guy, you know. You better like, Ilyasova. I mean, you're not going to lose too much in that sense. In fact, you probably get better. It, uh, I just now is he? Yeah, I think like he's I just now, now I would have Ilyasova. Ha- he is he is better, but Ilyasova played really really well for that. Like Ilyasova fine. played better than what he had been playing like. Fine. But Chandler so will know play better Wilson, than what Ilyasova played then. Uh, maybe nah. I don't know. Okay. Like yeah, he was right. like Wilson Chandler was really slow and not all that good Denver. last year. He was he was and desperate then, to get out of there. The, I think. I mean, he's, that situation has been going has been dragging for so long. I think the, you're going to see a revitalized version of Wilson Chandler. The Sixers better hope so. I think they're, they're the big the big opportunity for improvement right now for Philly is Markel Fultz. Does he bounce back and does he give them something that they just didn't have last year that they were quite frankly missing last year, which was a guy who can get his own shot and create off the dribble. That's not something that was a, that they had necessarily last season. That's why they drafted Markel Fultz, and that's the best opportunity they have to really get better um, And you're expecting another season, year of growth from guys like Simmons and B too. So, right, I mean, they haven't right. even reached the peak of their careers yet. They're already at a borderline all-star level, if not an all-star level. You know, And, and I think that, that you're going to see a much better version of them. Um, I mean, I, I could see them representing the Eastern Conference, even with Kawhi. Sure. In Toronto, I, I still think that you know maybe Boston is probably the the best team there. Welcoming Gordon Hayward back, I think that it'll make a huge difference for a team that looked pretty solid for most of the year. But at the same time, you could see Philadelphia representing the East next year in the finals. Still very optimistic on the Sixers, but it was a blown opportunity this summer. <laughs> While guys like Kevin Love and Demar Derozan have been public about their struggles with mental health. There's still several players dealing with their anxiety and depression behind the scenes. We'll talk about what the NBA is doing to help them next. But first, things in the NBA can change every day. That means you need a daily podcast to break down everything that's happening around the league. That's what we do here at Locked On NBA. So make sure to subscribe to Locked On NBA on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, or find us on whatever podcast app that you use. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. ESPN This Week is publishing a five-part series covering mental health issues in the NBA. And Jackie McMullen's piece on Monday discussed the ongoing struggles that players like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan and others still face in their careers and how the NBA and Players Association have made mental health policy a priority. One thing that jumped out to me reading the story is an estimate that more than 40% of NBA players are dealing with mental health issues and less than 5% are seeking help. That means almost 150 players in the league are dealing with something like this. Were you shocked by that number, David? No, I, I think uh, mental health is a catch-all that includes a number of different aspects there. But at the same time, when you look at the fact that just like any other place of employment, the NBA has humans working there, I think you're going to see those numbers accurately represented there. And I, I, 40%, I don't think that, I think that might be too low to be honest with you. And again, I think a lot of those cases remain undiagnosed or at least not publicly discussed. Uh, there's no, I don't think teams currently hire enough mental health professionals to ensure 
that people are getting the kind of treatment that they might need or the kind of space they might need. One of the things that kind of ties into that um, was a statement from an NBA, I think it was an Eastern Conference head coach, where he said, you know, three of his guys, two of them are on medication, a third, you know, seeking some mm. kind of help or needing some kind of help. And he's forced to play psychiatrist, a role that he's not comfortable with. And I think that's the case is, is there's this old school mentality on how to deal with mental health. You don't really deal with it very effectively. Uh, and I think uh, the teams don't have anybody on staff right now to ensure that it's being dealt with properly. So 40 percent might be a little bit too low, in my opinion. There does seem to be and I don't know enough about the the staffs in the NBA and exactly what they are providing that these players but to go back to you know what that Eastern Conference coach was saying if he's the guy that has to end up playing psychiatrist and be uh, acutely aware and on top of these things that probably means that there's not a whole lot of guys there there's probably not a psychiatrist no, on no, staff there's a right? player development and that's probably that's, I mean like that's what John right. Lucas's role is he's Clint right. Capella's player development coach. So, you know, because of his own dealings with his troubles and, and, and demons with addiction and everything else like that, he's probably a little bit more acutely aware of that than your average X's and O's type coach. And so he sees these kinds of things a little bit more closely. And again, he's working on a personality aspect. That doesn't necessarily mean that he is equipped to deal with the mental health of, of you know, employees on the NBA. He can... He can relate, and he can and right. he can see it because he's been through it. But that's not his job description. Right. And it's nice to have a guy like that on staff who can identify these things and and relate to players on these on these issues. But you kind of need to probably have a guy on staff. I mean, if it's if it is forty percent of NBA players, you could just you could go ahead and and say that that's forty percent of every NBA roster. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's how the math works, right? And so. If that's the case, if forty percent of your roster is point guards, you should probably have a point guard on on or former point guard as a as a developmental coach, right? Mm-hmm. If you have forty percent of your players are dealing with something like this, you should probably have somebody on staff that can help them deal with it. And so there does tend to be not just with this, but just in in kind of everything in the NBA. I'm a little surprised by this, like a one size fits all type of approach where whether it be physical training, um, this mental health stuff, getting rookies acclimated to the league, getting free agencies acclimated to a city and a new organization. There does tend to be sort of this either do it on your own or one size fits all approach, which I would understand if this were the NFL and you've got 60 players on a roster. But this is the NBA. You've got 15 guys that you're worrying about at any given point. I, I don't know... I, I, I feel like it as progressive as the league is, it should be a little bit more individualized. I think they're going to get there. I think they're going to get based there. on yes, based on this, I think we are getting there. And I, I it's, this is a very this is a very this is a uh, a good report. This is a good sign. I'm 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 encouraged by what I'm reading here. I'm actually very excited to read the rest of these pieces throughout the week. Absolutely. One thing I do want to talk a little bit about is the social media part of it. And Jackie McMullen. Well, can I, let me add one thing on to a little it. Bit you know, kind of tying into what you're saying. You know, I had that opportunity to cover the Junior NBA World Championship last week in Orlando, and one of the things that the the league was stressing for kids that are in the in the competition, 13 and 14 year olds, is having sessions where they deal with with mental health, where they have. Mm mental preparedness like things like meditation uh you know nutrition different things to get them to be more comfortable with themselves mentally and physically so if they're if they're already 
teaching kids that at such a young age, I think they recognize the importance of it. And that's something that Adam Sindler, uh, Silver, who was at the, the World Championship, discussed with me. He, he mentioned that uh, it was something that the league takes very seriously and they're going to continue to explore and develop further. So I can see the point where, you know, just like every team has a head trainer and a training staff, you're going to see somebody who is specifically a, a, a mental health professional dealing with, with not just players, but probably with staff as well. Because you, you look at what happened last year with Steve Clifford and, and Ty Lu in Cleveland. Mm. You know, they needed breaks That's away from the game because mental health affects everyone at some point, you know. And, yeah. and so you have, to, you have to be cognizant of it. You have to have things in place, people in place to help assist and facilitate. And I think that's what we're going to see the league trending to. So, you know, while the, well, I mean, the NBA might be a little bit behind still, I think they're, they're well ahead of any other sporting organization. A hundred percent. And look, I mean, you got, and it helps that their players are so forthcoming, right? Like if in the NFL, anytime, like think about the Jonathan Martin thing from a few years ago in the NFL. And and it's just, it's just a disaster. You could the NBA has the infrastructure to handle this, and they have the support from its fans to handle this. I think it's a very smart fan base. It's it's a it's a sophisticated fan base, and they they understand the social dynamics of 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 these things. Generally speaking, and, and just the fact that they are teaching, like from your the fact that they're teaching young kids playing the game right. who have NBA potential, like at these junior NBA World Championships, to deal with this shows that it's needed. And they need it more now than ever. I mean, you look about uh, guys that have the scrutiny and the pressure, like Kevin Love and oh, then right. Chris Bosh from Jackie McMullen's piece, talking about how he's cried after Game Six of the of the 2011 NBA Finals. There's so much pressure on these guys. They're under the microscope all the time. Most of their games are televised, whether it be League Pass or otherwise. It's locally televised. They're on. They're everything is being scrutinized on social media. There's such a microscope on everything that's happening. Yeah. Of course they're dealing with this stuff. This is more important now than it has ever been, and I'm glad that the NBA and the NBA's Players Association is is making this a priority because it's very it's just it's really important. And just from the fans, like let we can we could talk about how important it is for those guys as individuals. But as a fan, the other part that Jackie McMullen wrote about touched on a little bit at the end there, and I think this is maybe what we're gonna hear more about throughout the week, is the fact that this could improve their performance on the court, Without a doubt. if they are just, met. and so that that increases the the that increases the enjoyment of the product from a fan standpoint. Yeah, no, I, without a doubt. I mean, there are, there are statistics that show in other workplaces where you, you know employers lose X number of billions due to mental health with people taking days off because of of that because they just can't prepare themselves mentally for the rigors of the workplace, and that's certainly heightened in the NBA, and that's something that we forget about. You know, I think. In a league of, of competitive, testosterone-fueled men, we tend to think of it as being able to push through, and that was something that, that Kevin Love discussed in the McMillan piece. But I think you need to understand that, first and foremost, they're people, and, and I think we need to treat them as such. And it's a hard you know, uh, line to walk for most fans because you want to be fanatical about it, you want to be passionate about it, and you want your teams to succeed. But at the same time, you have to understand that you're putting these players under immense pressure that they're putting themselves through because their livelihoods are tied Mm -hmm. to their performances. They want to succeed more than anybody else. Um, More than any fan wants them to succeed, they want that success for themselves because that's tied in to how much money they'll make for the longevity of their careers, etc. So... We have to right. understand the human aspect, something that we overlook in our fanatical uh, you know, approach to, to, to sports. 
So, David, we tend to agree on a lot when we're doing this show and and when we do Locked on Heat as well. However, one thing we've long disagreed on is the concept of tanking. We'll debate the merits of tanking next. But first, in addition to the daily Locked on NBA show, the Locked on Podcast Network has a daily show for every NBA team. So if you're a diehard fan who wants content on your favorite team every day, go to iTunes or your favorite podcasting app, search for your team, and then subscribe. The Locked on Podcast Network, the local experts on the biggest stories. So I didn't know quite how to bring up this subject, but it's one of the things that we have seen over the news recently, particularly in light of the Cleveland Cavaliers deciding not just to not trade Kevin Love in the wake of LeBron James joining the Los Angeles Lakers, but to actually extend his contract and sign into a longer term deal than many players that many people around the league expected to do so. And of course, the response by some Cavaliers fans and some pundits around the Cavs is that they probably should have taken this opportunity to blow up the team. Uh, It's something that we've seen a lot recently. I think the Philadelphia 76ers process of rebuilding their team was something that brought the tanking discussion to the forefront. But even as recently as last summer, the ringers Kevin O'Connor talked about the Toronto Raptors never being able to overcome the burden of LeBron James and that they should have blown up that team last season. Of course, they went on to have the best year of their franchise history. Um, They wound up getting swept by LeBron and the Cavs again this season, but now they've positioned themselves to possibly make an even deeper run in the Eastern Conference because they've acquired Kawhi Leonard. So the question is, should teams blow up in order to rebuild? And I think that's where you and I will disagree because I've never seen blowing up as a legitimate way of, of rebuilding your team. Like, obviously, the Philadelphia model worked, and it, well, it looks like it's working, and it looks like it will continue to work for many years, but that wasn't a guarantee, and I don't know that that's also an aberration in that sense. I don't know that a lot of teams that have implemented something along those lines can claim to have the same kind of success that Philadelphia has had even over the last season or two. Because really, I mean, it's we're talking about one successful year of Philadelphia at, at this point of the process. You know, I disagree with you on this. And I, I, I disagree because you kind of fundamentally reject the idea of tanking because it's not a guarantee, like, like you said, that you can get anywhere from there because you could, for every, you know, for every 76ers process, you have a Sacramento Kings. You know, you have a team that is in the top of the, the draft every year and can't draft correctly. Either. My belief is is generally there's a time and place for everything. If you've got, if you have the personnel and management who you trust to accurately scout and then you have a coaching staff that can appropriately develop those players, which is not the case in Sacramento, for example, but has was certainly the case in Philadelphia, I don't. I see no reason why to do it. And if you have no other options, if you're Philly and you've been chasing free agents to no avail, and you've kind of got this middling roster, and you're saying, and if you you found to Sam Hinkie, he says he he exploited something in the system that nobody else is exploiting. He might not do that if it was a different situation. I mean, Daryl Morey, his his protege in in Houston, famously never really tanked. Always was a middling team, and ended up going and and finding James Harden, who changed everything for them. I just think that there's there's a smart way to do things, and there's a dumb way to do things. And I don't know if one way is tanking or if one way is just actively rejecting tanking. I just think it's just being smart in your player acquisition, finding the best ways to go get guys. I would much rather tank a year when LeBron James is the possible first pick than tank a year when it might be Anthony Bennett. You know, I think all of these things matter. 
And so if you are I, I look at a team like, for example, the Clippers. Okay. Right? Let's take them for example. Oh. What would they have let's say that they had when it was very clear and obvious that they were that they had ridden out the, that trio, and I would say I would probably ping that at about two years ago. It was clear that they would never be as good as the Warriors with that roster, that that team had basically reached its peak. But you still have Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and, and DeAndre Jordan under contract. Could you imagine what they would they have gotten a Billy King type deal, just like what Danny Ainge got? Had they traded those three guys while they were under contract, as opposed to letting Chris Paul essentially walk for nothing? They worked out a trade, but they basically let him walk for nothing. DeAndre Jordan walked for nothing. Blake Griffin, they got Tobias Harris for. So imagine if they had traded those guys a couple years earlier, and then. What we don't think the Sacramento Kings not to not to pile on to Sacramento, but we don't think that Sacramento would have just traded everything they had for those three guys to get into the playoffs. I mean, you could get those three guys; you're guaranteed forty wins. So why wouldn't a team that is on the bottom of the the league would the Orlando Magic have done it? Maybe like I, I just, but instead they just sort of wait out those contracts and they're in no man's land now. They I, they end I, up they have like this weird smorgasbord of ant players. My counter to that argument about the Clippers of two to five seasons ago is that we're judging judging them with the myopic lens of well they didn't win a title by any stretch. But they wanted to win a title. That's what they wanted to do. But they couldn't. And you know what? Only one team right. wins a title every year. And I don't think that we should judge them as a failure because they weren't able to win a title. And I think that's the problem is that we're looking at the title as the be-all, end-all, be-all defining factor of whether a team is successful. And I think by any de- definition, you look at that Clippers team, they were fun to watch. A lot of people watched them. They made a lot of money. They went deep into playoffs and they were contenders every year. Through some fluke or injury or combination of the two, they fell short of their title expectations. And unfortunately, they wound up getting caught like so many teams did in the Warriors reaching dynastic levels of excellence. But at the same time, I I think they were a contender for years before that. They could have been contenders during the Warriors era as well. And you look at Houston. I mean, look how much money they're spending this year. You're going to be judging them and and they're probably going to fall short just like they did last season. But you make a run for it wherever you can. And I think to have blown it up at that point in time would have been short-sighted. And again, would have taken away years of excellent level basketball. For what? For the possibility to draft, who knows, somewhere in the top five? Somewhere in the well, top Well, hey, 10? no, if they would have, it, just saying, if they would, LeBron had eyes for LA. Let's say the Clippers had tanked. They had built a roster maybe even better with uh, better young players than the Lakers had. Because the Lakers tanked. They ended up with LeBron. What if the Clippers had done it? They could have ended up with LeBron. You don't. We don't know that. That's oh, not the, the case. The Lakers ended up with LeBron because they're the Lakers, and because Magic no, there's Johnson several reasons. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I just, I think that there's a time and place for it. Like, I, I don't think the Thunder should have blown it up. I think that they didn't. My, my whole thing is, I don't necessarily need to go chase a title, but you need to have a real, a, a real superstar to, to kind of put your hopes on if you're a fan, because the NBA has always been that way, where superstars win championships and you sort of build around them there's never really been an exception to that so if you don't have that superstar right and if you're the clippers you're you had those superstars in blake griffin and chris paul but they're clearly on the decline so that's why you move on from them but if you're the thunder russell westbrook smack dab in the middle of the prime you just build around him anyway it's it's like if you're the lakers you know when they had when Shaq forced his way out of la to go to miami they still had Kobe. So you just rebuild around Kobe with Lamar Odom and Pau Gasol and you go and win another championship. Like, that works. And maybe that's what the Thunder were trying to do when Kevin Durant left. But 
they had Russell Westbrook in the in the peak of his powers, and so you just build around him. Now, and, and to your point, they they probably don't ever win a championship. They're probably never going to win a championship, but they're going to compete and they're going to have a superstar to build around and to at least chase something with. And the chase is most of the entertainment there. And I just think once it's clear that that chase is over, that that you're really never going to reach that goal line. Once it's just so it obvious. It sounds like you're supporting my argument though, because you're saying that they're not going to win a championship, that they're going to chase it. Well, the Clippers were chasing it for years too, and you're saying that they should have blown them up. But you're saying that the the Thunder. Are still fun to watch, or being successful at whatever. Because I think there, there was I, I I use the Clippers example because there was a clear there was a clear path if you like kind of move those guys and get some amazing draft picks in return, then you're able to restock like the Celtics and really quickly get back to competitiveness. But not only get back to competitiveness, yeah. competitiveness, but then elongate your window, and that I think is the key there in what the Celtics did. I don't think I think the to I agree with you. The 76ers were an aberration, and the NBA, by the way, has taken steps to make sure that that never happens again. Sure. So. Uh, but the real, like, if you're just, if you're super starless or you see that window closing, because we don't know when Oklahoma City's window for competitiveness was going to close. Well, like, they've got Westbrook and under contract they, for a few yeah, years, right? Ex- so I like what they're doing. I like what, what they're doing. I like what Portland is doing. We don't know when their window is going to close. And I like what Houston's doing because we don't know when their window is going to close. But when you see the window closing, you know ex- you, there's, you have that due date. Then maybe you start to blow that thing up. Maybe then that's when you start to tank. Maybe that's when you start to take, you know, alternative measures to rebuild that team and then open up that window for for longer. Because if not, you know, you could end up like the Hawks and just sort of be bad. You could end up like the Pistons and just end up being bad. Yeah, you could be I mean, the Hornets and just end up being bad. <laughs> just teams that are missing the playoffs in the Eastern Conference because... Right. You could argue that maybe you should have made some moves earlier on. Well, I mean, I think the the Pistons just missed out on a number of draft picks. You know, taking Luke Kennard probably wasn't the best choice. Maybe taking Stanley yeah, Johnson a at, lot at eight wasn't the best there. choice. Uh, but you know, the Seventy Sixers drafted Ja Okafor, and uh, you know they're one bad knee away from uh, not being a playoff team. To be honest with you, so I, I don't. I still look. I, I don't want the Seventy Sixers to fail. I just don't know that I'm ready to crown them a huge success yet, and I know that their fan base was beleaguered. So any Sixers fans will probably have a huge problem with me saying this, but I, and I understand why they're so defensive because they got a lot of grief over the years uh, because of the process, et cetera. But at the same time, look, it's worked. It's, it looks like it's going to continue to work, and hopefully it does. But there are other teams that you mentioned, Sacramento, Orlando, and others that followed a similar path and just weren't able to capitalize in the same way. And I just think it's proven more often than not that it's not going to be a success. So the idea that as soon as you lose out on a superstar player, you should, quote-unquote, blow up the team, I just don't think it makes sense. You should, as soon as you lose a superstar player, if you're without a superstar player, you should be planning your path to getting and acquiring a superstar player. That might be a trade. It might be free agency. It might be the draft. And I just think you've got it. And whichever one is right for you, you got to go do it. That's that's my opinion. Anyway, um, that's all we have for today. You could subscribe to Locked On NBA and iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We'll be here. Ba- we'll be back here next Tuesday. In the meantime, you can find us on Locked On Heat. Thank you for listening, and thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes.